You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks, and I am your host, Rebecca Hayden. For those of you who are interested in self-discovery and healing through hypnosis, please email me at rebecca.hayden at gmail.com to book a free consultation. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Today we have Catherine Aduni joining us. And Catherine, can you just uh, introduce yourself? Yep, Catherine Aduni is what uh, my social media <laughs> websites uh, know me as, but uh, a lot of other people know me as Mother Jaguar. Wonderful. It's wonderful to be here. Great. And you've worked with the medicine for a long time now, have you? Yes, for at least 12 years. Wow, wonderful. Um, and uh, we had a previous discussion, and during that you had mentioned that um, before you started working with the medicine, you had an experience, um, a spiritual experience that kind of, you know, uh, helped you connect with your higher self. And I'm wondering if you can share a bit of that with us. Well, yes. Um, so... Uh, because of a lot of my uh, decisions in life, I, I had children very early, uh, looking for love in all the wrong places, um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and started to realize when I turned 33, I'd just given birth to my fifth child, Amina, and uh, realized that I had made a really grave error um, in having children that I don't think I was ready for. And um, my life wasn't working the way that I expected it to. Uh, I really thought that, you know, with love, everything would fall into place. And, um, and I was very uncomfortable that I wasn't, uh, in my eyes, a good mother. I wasn't as present with my children. I wasn't a good daughter. Um, and I had friends who fell off because I didn't have enough time for them. Um, because I was, you know, I had five children. But after having my daughter, I just realized I keep doing this thing to myself. And um, I wasn't happy with that. I keep making decisions that allow my, allowed my life to just become uh, very hurtful. And uh, I wanted to leave this earth. And I started planning my exit and um, started having, uh, setting up, meetings with friends that I felt that would be good role models to my children once I left this world. Wow. And, and I started building a scrapbook for each of my children so they knew uh, what I thought of them and how I felt about them. And so they would have memories after I left this plane. And so it, I planned this over, it was like maybe six to eight months I was doing these things and very intentionally um, speaking to my mom, having conversations uh, with family members and really heart opening um, conversations, transparent uh, with family members and friends, um, being very intentional. And so the date that I planned to do this was in September, it was uh, September uh, the 13th, I believe. And I, I went and got a hotel room um, and I had been collecting for over the six to eight months. My mom was uh, diagnosed with the gout, and so they were giving her Percocets. And so I was collecting one or two Percocets every once in a while and ended up with having like maybe 21 Percocets, um, which I studied to see how many Percocets it would take. Like I was really intentional about, you know, how many Percocets would it take to take my life? Mm. Um, and how many milligrams uh, I was looking these things up and and so I you know went to the hotel um, wrote out a letter to uh, my then husband who we were going through a divorce um, at the time but we were really still close and uh, wrote out a letter to him and explained how I wanted him to reveal all of this that he didn't let the children know um, what took place. Maybe he could just tell them that it was a freak accident or something like that. I didn't want my children to know that I took my life. And so I 
you know, struggled with it for a couple of hours in the hotel and um, started remembering, you know, a lot of things from my childhood and, you know, that really forced me into the place of like, okay, so you're going to do this thing. And so I began taking the pills uh, one by one. And probably maybe 30 minutes after I took the pills, I could feel this shift uh, in my energy and my heart start to race a little bit because of maybe my anxiety of what's getting ready to go down. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so I pushed myself through it. I got on the bed and I laid down. And I'm not sure the time just seemed to really slow down uh, during that period. But I, I felt myself getting very warm and um, starting to feel the, the rush of uh, my blood. And I could feel everything occurring in my body. And my heart started to slow down. Um, at a really, a really slow pace. And I could feel myself leaving or getting very lethargic and um, sleepy, but feeling nauseous at the same time. Um, and I started hearing my heartbeat. Um, it's almost like when you're up in the mountains and you, your ears start to plug a little bit and, or when you're underwater and you could just really hear the, the thump of your heart. Mm-hmm. So I could hear my heart slowing down um, and I'm in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is it, you know, this is it. And I remember just having this immense feeling of love to my children and just wanting them to, if it was anything that I could push out, I was saying to myself, if there's any gram or, you know, feeling or volume of, of um, something that I could push out of me at my last breath, it would be just the profound love I have for my children and wanting that energy to just push out of me as I take my last breath. And so I I felt myself falling asleep. I felt the warm tears going down my eyes. And so I went to sleep. And uh, well, to my surprise, I woke up in the morning. Uh, Seeing the sun, I started peeking (laughs) and seeing the sun. Um, and was wondering if this was, uh, this was death, <laughs> my, you know, my ghost now, uh, cause I'm still <laughs> in the same place, <laughs> you know, um, and was wondering like, a, you know, okay, so am I alive? And I remember just grabbing my hands and putting my hands together and I could still feel my flesh, um, but very confused. Uh, very confused as to what it took place. So I, I tried to spring up, but was a little, just a little dizzy. Um, I didn't have any nauseousness. Matter of fact, I didn't have any uh, feeling that I even took the pills other than the, the dizziness that I had from springing up too fast. Um, I went into the bathroom, looked at myself, realized that, uh, okay, I can see myself. I'm still here. I went and grabbed my cell phone, um, tried to dial my husband, uh, and it went through, but I hung up. So this is when the anger came. <laughs> the anger. Oh. I was very upset that uh, what I set out to do didn't happen. Um, and my idea, uh, at that time, I really didn't have much experience, um, personal experience with God. I knew what I was being told. I knew that I, you know, I grew up in church where I could see adults praising God and, you know, I read the Bible, but I never had a personal experience that told me that God was real. And so I was in a space of, you know, not sure if that's even something especially having the whole Santa Claus situation happen where I was told Santa Claus was real and then finding out Santa Claus was real right. so I wasn't quite sure if you know the adults were making this up too um, so I didn't have much context around God but at this moment because I was angry at still being 
here. Um, and, and what I attempted to do didn't work. And, and I remember saying out loud, so I can't even do this right. <laughs> I can't even do this right. And like, so why do you want me here? It's obvious, you know, that I'm making a mockery of my life. It's obvious that I've brought five beautiful beings into this world that will have another traumatic life, just like I did. I'm not a good mother. I'm not a good daughter. Why would you have me to stay here? Mm -hmm. Why would you have me be here and, and not be, you know, the reflection of someone that you would be proud of being here? Um, and are you even real? You know, <laughs> am I yes. talking to myself? I, I need to know something. And I remember just having like this really hard cry um, and a couple of, you know, gasps and, you know, um, moanings. And I did that for about a, maybe 30 minutes to an hour. I uh, went to wash my face and I stood and looked in the mirror. And so I, you know, I was like, okay, so this didn't work. Um, I need answers now and I need help because I don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if, if you are real, I need to know that you're real at this moment um, because I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. And this time I'm going to make sure that it is carried out correctly. And I just need to know if you're here. Um, because my life is not working. I'm not a good person. And, and if you are real and you are the loving God that everyone says that you are, from now on, when people see me, I want them to see you. Oh, and beautiful. Hear me. I want them to hear you. I no longer want to be the one that people see. They don't, I don't deserve that, is what I was saying. I don't deserve that. And at that very sweet, sincere moment, um, I started to feel what I know now is what a, what people would describe as your Kundalini rise. Mm -hmm. um, my whole body got really warm and flush, and I felt this uh, this love rush towards me that I've never felt before. It just felt mixed and full of just unconditional love and forgiveness, and it gave me the um, it, the interpretation to me inside was that it was forgiveness and it's nothing that you could ever do wrong to turn me away from you. Um, there's nothing that you could ever do to stop me from loving you. And mm -hmm. at that moment, I got a little hysterical. <laughs> I started giggling and um, <laughs> crying at the same time. It was unbelievable because first I'm thinking, so you are real and this is really happening. And, um, and I can really feel okay with all of the things that I've done. Wow. So um, that, that was the beginning of my relationship uh, with God and my higher self, which is hard to separate the two. Um, because the way that it came towards me felt really interesting over the last maybe 40 days um, where it felt like it was another part of me um, had the same, um, <laughs> same type of voice as me. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and the, uh, I guess the funny parts of me, a little comical. Right. Um, in some ways, but that was the beginning. Um, so I went home and embraced my children. Um, and I could tell that something had shifted in me and just that profound feeling of unconditional love shifted me a lot, uh, a lot more than, than I ever thought it could. It made me a lot more patient and present um, instead of feeling anxious and worried about what's to come. I was very present and it began a 40 night uh, relationship with the divine, my beloved and my higher self where I was being woken up at maybe between two and three in the morning just to sit in darkness and to have conversations inside of myself with my higher self. Mm -hmm. 
And so that was my first, uh, what you would call, I don't think you could ever really be uh, awakened. Um, I believe that it's a process of awakening, um, unraveling of sorts and piecing together um, all of who you are and your connection with the all and the source. Um, so that was the part of my awakening before I met the medicine. Wow, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful story. It, it, it reminds me the after effects, the, the relationship that you developed and this inner voice reminds me a lot of, of my process after ayahuasca um, because the dialogue that we sometimes have in ayahuasca, I came home with. And then because this voice and this back and forth internally was going on all the time, I had to isolate. And we talked about that, how um, for me, it was a little disappointing because, well, uh, to, to put it mildly, because I had been depressed and that's what led to my foray into shamanism and the medicines. And, uh, and having gone through a long depression that involved me becoming very reclusive, you know, I... Um, I was looking forward to, you know, bursting out into the world with this newfound, you know, love for myself and appreciation for all the possibilities that exist in the world, et cetera. But then suddenly I'm thrown into this situation where, you know, and it was absolutely necessary. And I'm glad it happened, of course, because, you know, some serious growth goes on during this time because you're not distracted by anything externally and you're forced to really focus where it's really going to make the most impact, right? Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It's true. We go out. Um, I think, I, I know you're not the only one, and I know we're not the only ones that have sure. felt that, where when we get this, this confirmation of love and, yes, this is real, we want to go share it with everyone. And we want to confirm it with others as well. Um, but that is also a distraction. Um, because we rush out to do that. We haven't spent enough time with ourselves yet. Um, and we haven't made it stick so much to where you just know like you know like you know. Um, yeah. I call that's just another process of the ego um, that is still trying to uh, stay important. Um, that is still trying to be relevant uh, or prevalent in your life. And so you, yeah, you go and want to spread the good news, um, but you just have to, you have to fill your cup with you first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually for me, it was really, it was really difficult because, you know, uh, I didn't mind that in the end when I finally realized, okay, this is really important and, 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 you know, beautiful and deep and, and, phenomenal and I, I was you know I knew it had to happen and I knew how important it was um and I they when I say they I mean the, this voice that always speaks to me from the position of we mm -hmm. um really taught me uh, just amazing things I couldn't learn in any other way and then after steadily training me to focus on myself and no one else and not what this person's done to that person or to me or to anybody um, and just focus on me and my own um, feelings and responses and, and my own past and how it's impacting me and all of these things, just a full personal deep education and, and healing, lots of crying, lots of <laughs> healing. And then after all of that, for me, my mission was now go out and and speak about it openly. I was <laughs> petrified. I was so scared. Like, wait a minute, you taught me so well not to do that, you know. And and now suddenly this was my mission. But uh, and and it's interesting too because um, and and these things are coming up for me because I'm hearing your story and relating to some of them. And I was I was so petrified about speaking because. It's hard enough coming out about these medicines. There's so much misunderstanding out there about it. And of course, which is a good reason to go out and, and, and clarify and maybe, you know, speak about it in a way that helps people a little uh, with understanding. But um, it, it's, it's hard, you know, to, to open yourself up to that. And then in addition, you know, talk about this voice, you know, which a lot of us in Western society believe that anyone who hears voices must be crazy. So that was, <laughs> of course, that was a 
big hurdle. Um, but I was so urged to do it. It was like relentless. And, and I felt sick every day just thinking about doing this. And I had to organize it all myself. Uh, it was quite the task I was set. And one night I was just, you know, doing some inner moaning, like, how can you <laughs> make me do this thing that's making me feel so on edge and awful and, and beside myself with fear? And then I got this heart opening experience, you know, just flooded with love. And, and it was just one of those beautiful things where I felt like, oh, yeah, everybody wants to feel this way. Like there's not a person on this planet that does not want to feel this, you know. Yeah. And my 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 request was, okay, let me feel at least a little bit of this when I'm up there talking, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing. It was, um, and this was all before the medicine. Um, but during that, the 40 days of just getting all of my answers, uh, all of my questions answered. Um, uh, and plus, I, I was truly, truly grateful for the um, the deliverance of uh, being afraid of the dark and um, throughout my whole life because of sexual abuse, uh, that's when it normally happened in the middle of the night where um, my mom's ex-boyfriend or boyfriend would come uh, to sexually touch me. And so I always, throughout my whole life and my adulthood, I always kept a light on somewhere. Um, but having this experience with uh, the all and and the divine, my beloved, is I was being in a space of trusting and and not being afraid of the dark, and that just made me laugh because I knew just how much I was afraid of it, and a lot of the other fears that were being, you know, looked at and and taken care of. I mean, I could see that the love, that the unconditional love that I was being or was being poured into me, was healing so much fear. And I was truly grateful for that, is to not to live in fear anymore. Um, and during my time, I think it was maybe a process of uh, two to three weeks. And I had a good chunk of, of um, relationship uh, having that talk every night uh, between 2 and 3 a.m. I was just overjoyed with um, everything that was happening so grateful in a space of gratitude like I've never felt before, seeing the the synchronicities, uh, you know, and also the the things that you ask for, you know, that you need. Because I was asked during the the forty days, uh, you know, forty nights, uh, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? I was mm -hmm. asked that a lot of times. What do you want? And I remember the first couple of times, like I really don't know. I thought I knew what I wanted, but I don't. I don't know. All I can say is that I just want to be happy, uh, but that I know that's not enough. I need to be more clear and um, about what I want. And, and so I was told to be very simple about these things. Don't, you know, uh, over-exaggerate. Find the things that will clear up your life first. And so I was led to simplify my life. Um, I got rid of a lot of things. Uh, got us down to like maybe 10 or 12 outfits and three to four pair of shoes. And it was a big household, six of us. Mm -hmm. simplified my life, got rid of a lot of stuff that we didn't use, didn't need, gave away a lot of things. And it was a very harmonious process. My children worked well with that whole thing, which I, I didn't think they would, you know, giving up yeah. some of the things. They worked well through the whole process. And after that um, is when I was told, okay, we want you to speak. And I was like, speak? Speak where? <laughs> like, where do I speak? Mm -hmm. And so I was told to speak at my mom's church, which was a Baptist church um, wow. in Georgia. Um, and I was delighted. I was ready, like, from go, because I just had so much appreciation uh, for where God had brought me to at this moment. And, and I felt honored um, to share and in any way that I could. And I was just like, take me off the bench. I'm ready. Let's, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, just excited. And um, I was told first that I needed to contact the, the, the preacher, the minister of the church, uh, which knew me, but didn't know me that well, knew my mother better. Um, and I did, and we had a really good talk. Uh, and 
I was being very discerning, which I was being told as I was talking to him, be very discerning um, because he's not in a really, uh, he's not in a place of believing you um, right. right now. So just be very discerning that you have a testimony that you want to give to the congregation. And uh, he told me that I would be allowed to do that this coming Sunday. And uh, when I got up there, uh, I remember just feeling so comfortable there speaking about, speaking about the divine, uh, the beloved creator and how it's not a voice up in the sky. There's really a voice inside of you and, you know, just really delivering uh, to the people in the church. Uh, the whole concept, really, that you think that God is in the sky. Uh, no, God is all around us and inside of us. And, you know, and, and even that, saying... That idea of separation, I think, has, has really led to a lot of our suffering, to be honest. I think that really, you know, at the heart of it, that connection that we have or deny um, will will decide just how well we do in this mm -hmm. existence, you know, and... Um, how long after that did you discover ayahuasca and, and how did that come down in, and then just kind of like, how did that change your relationship with this, this higher self or your beloved? Or God? Oh, it, was, it was right after, it was probably maybe a year after is when I met a group of people who had a birthday party. Um, and maybe a week before that, I stumbled on a uh, testimonial um, on YouTube of someone who had had uh, ayahuasca and the medicine and was really intrigued by the the presence and um, the transparency that I had really never seen on mm -hmm. video and I was like wow what, what is giving her this <laughs> what is, right. this is very similar to what I feel um, yes and uh, so I followed that for a little while and couldn't really get good leads um, to how to make this happen or, or to know more about it other than the testimonials. And I was watching a lot of them and they all seemed to have the same presence and transparency. And I ran into someone at this birthday party that was actually speaking about just coming back. Um, from a ceremony and I was like, you know, very intensely listening and like, wow. So I want to know more about that. And after she uh, finished speaking with the group of people that was there, I kind of waited for a moment to talk to her and just to get more understanding about what it was, what was involved. And um, she invited me to my first one. So that's funny because, you know, people say, Oh, how do I do this? But, you know, there seems to be these, these um, conspiring forces <laughs> that really bring this about for us when we want it. So it doesn't happen in the, in the regular way of things that we think, Oh, you do this, you book your, your, you know, it doesn't always unfold like that, but when you're, when it's meant to happen for you, it's going to show up one way or the other. And, and I know it's difficult to have faith in that, but time and time again, these stories emerge and yeah, we all kind of know the drill now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's always like this, where we always say that she finds you when you ask. Yeah, you know, she finds you. And it's important to have faith in that. So um, let's move forward to, um, to some of the key, uh, you know, experiences that you had um, from the medicine that, that this voice was kind of indicating that you needed the abandonment, um, what you learned from that. And I do want to kind of move into some discussion of your childhood and, and, and issues that a lot of people are facing out there that would be helpful too. So, um, so when I was growing up, um, you know, there was always a fear of someone, one of my parents or either both of them leaving. Um, my mother and father was fighting all of the time. Um, and although I, I knew that they loved each other in, in more moments than not, it was still a lot of fights that was, um, that I wasn't comfortable with. And it always ended with someone, you know, leaving. Um, wow. okay. and so that brought up a lot of fear of abandonment and, uh, changing in my life that I, I didn't want. And, uh, in relationships of my own, um, 
there's a lot of argument and um, bickering, but always the fear of someone leaving. So um, I grew in a place of, you know, just heartening my heart and just, just knowing that no one ever stays. <laughs> it was a knowing no one ever stays. And that, you know, I want to be honest here too, is there is a balance in that. There's everything is always moving and going and coming. Uh, but I found a way to be okay with that. Um, now at this juncture in my life, but back then it was really hard. So where the medicine was pushing me down into, which was the real hard nugget to crack, was the, the fear of loss. Um, the fear of lost uh, and um, the medicine helped to help me purge a lot of those childhood memories of loss. Um, so what about what we were discussing about anger too? Um, well, yeah, the anger came from <laughs> the fear of loss and it also came from, you know, a lot of the, the things that I was being taught um, growing up, which, is a segue, you know, to um, another reason why I do this beautiful work is uh, I grew up watching um, a lot of anger in my household and in my family, uh, but also a lot of anger towards uh, white people. Um, and uh, as, as I look at it now, I realize um, that most of my family members, which were my great uncles and great aunts, had experiences in their lives that uh, they saw a lot of killing, you know, of their family members or, um, you know, uh, just wrongdoings across the board. So uh, when they moved from Savannah and Sapelo Island to Ohio, which was a little better than Georgia, you know, uh, but still there was still some separation there. Uh, they, brought their, they brought their trauma of uh, racism with them and the anger um, and more like rage, uh, but not being able to do anything about it. So it's like being so angry, but scared to lose your life behind showing and expressing your anger. Um, where uh, it was a story we talked about earlier about my uncle, my uncle Hilton, who uh, when I was five years old, uh, took us all to a drive-in where, uh, you know, we expressed some very ugly names to white people as young children, not really understanding what we were saying, but we just listened to Uncle Hilton and, and he point, you know, he pointed white people out and said, those are hunkies, you know, let's say hunky, you know, and we would all laugh and giggle behind it because we were young and we didn't know any better. Uh, but as we got older, we started realizing that you know, we have white friends. We have Indian friends. I grew up in a, my Ohio was a very diverse city as well. Um, a lot of Polish, uh, maybe a lot of uh, Spanish people there, but we had, we had different friends and they were good friends. And we never even talked about color uh, growing up. It wasn't even something that we discussed that you're black, I'm white, I'm Indian. It was none of that. We just wanted to cause mischief and have fun and, <laughs> and do things together. So um, I think a lot of... Feel, really. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. kind of, yeah, better, really, that we see each other as people. Yeah. And we're all different in so many ways. Um, yeah. And that should be okay. Um, but the, the anger, I believe, that I had was personally, it was, it was you know my own anger from watching my family's fight and not just get along. And, and then there was generational anger that I realized in my thirties that I was carrying as well. Um, not being able to express that anger, I believe is a trauma that just keeps repeating and keeps repeating. Um, and we give birth to it in so many ways to our children. Um, so a lot of anger around, um, what has happened uh, and what was happening. Uh, but when the, what the medicine helped me to see is, is just kept bringing me back to my life and my own experiences so I could be able to mature, maturely look at it and say, okay, so I didn't experience that. This, is, this was my experience. Mm -hmm. um, 
that's what my family experienced and I can hold space for that, but I don't have to carry that. Um, and most of my experiences have been great. Um, but it also helped me to look at different perceptions and how people would gain um, this view of racism or separation. And most of us have been taught at an early age to be separate. Um, and for black people, I think it might've came out of fear of uh, not being accepted. Um, so don't partner with them because they're never gonna accept you or they're gonna lend, eat, lend you or lead you to a situation where it's gonna be, you're gonna be put in jail or something terrible is gonna happen to you. So it was a lot of fear um, in my family, a lot of fear. So, um, and for me, I, I was also dealing with, <laughs> dealing with sexual trauma after my yeah. mom, yeah, after my mom left my, my father, she uh, got into a relationship with a man who I just thought, I just couldn't understand how my mom was with him. Uh, he was um, on drugs uh, and very violent. Um, and uh, we found out over the last, I think in year 2012, which we knew that he uh, had done some pretty heinous things. We just didn't know how much, but he was actually um, accused of being a serial killer in Ohio and he was living with us. Oh my goodness, wow. Uh, where he sodomized and uh, choked many women uh, that they were exhuming bodies for and doing DNA testing when it started be becoming um, the thing to do back in the, uh, the 90s. Um, and so they found many bodies and it was a prosecutor who came out of retirement just to make sure that they put him away who contacted me for a lot of the, um, the background and stories about him. So, um, so yeah, I came out of that knowing that we were living with a serial killer um, and a pedophile uh, and having to heal a lot of my trauma with my mother as well, which I'm glad to say I've, the last four years was uh, blissful with my mom before she passed in January because I was able to heal uh, the, the, the fear of being to trust her. I didn't trust her anymore. Right. Um, so, you know, a lot of that. And the medicine really just helped me walk through these spaces with courage. And, That's uh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what I find with the medicine is that it really, um, like we have all of these issues that, lo that, that loom very large in the world, you know, like, um, you know, racism and sexism and, and these isms and um, this, this general understanding of abuse and trauma. And we, we know this is happening in the world in different ways with different peoples and different groups of people. Um, but ayahuasca always seems to want to bring it down to, yeah, but what's happening with you? <laughs> you, know, huh? you have to deal with yourself. Um, <laughs> Every time. You go yeah. crazy if you're trying to fix the world. It's really, you are the world, so fix you. Yeah. Heal yourself because um, we're projecting it. Yeah. So if you could expand a bit on that, because, I mean, I certainly have had my own lessons around the that projection thing you know how and it's a very difficult concept for people um you know to digest especially when they've experienced such trauma it's like how could i possibly want to do any of that to myself you right know? yeah it's very subtle um you know if you really sat down and you know i had to kind of simplify that as well because i had to I had to start looking at the big things that were happening in my life, like the mostly relationships where um, I didn't trust men, of course. I, was, I grew up not trusting men a lot, but mm -hmm. still needing the, uh, the, the, I guess the relationship part or wanting to have the touch of a man. And, but I didn't trust them. I didn't trust that they had any good in them at all. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's these conflicting ideas and no wonder, right? Then we go out in the world and it's like, and that's what you get. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the other part of the, um, you remember the, uh, what was it, the movie, The Secret? It's the other part of the law of attraction that no one really talks about. 
is that the shadow also attracts. Um, and the things that we have hidden deep within us, all of our limited perceptions are projected out. And that's the world that we see. That's the experiences that we have um, in all forms. And so when people are, I guess, not really paying attention, when we're not paying attention to our lives and we're living in tomorrow or the next day or, we're or, living the in, or in the past, uh, we can't really truly see the, the small things that are bubbling there that are hidden um, to look at. So when you're present and you really look at these experiences, when you have an experience in relationship that, you know, that's a fight, you can also view that fight with yourself. Um, when you have an experience of not trusting someone, uh, most certainly you don't trust yourself. Um, when you're having an experience of uh, not feeling cared for or being heard, well, you, um, most certainly you're doing that with yourself. So so many things that we can slow down if we can just slow down and look at every experience that we have that may be troubling or uh, uncomfortable. We can, we can certainly see that and view that in ourselves where we didn't give ourselves something that we wanted from someone else. So we project a, we project a very hurting world. We project what our pain is, what our traumas are, and you know, we project that out. And of course we could say, yeah, why would I want this for myself? Why, why would I do this to myself? That's a good question. Keep asking. <laughs> Keep yes. asking. Yes, take a, take a deep look at that. Because, you know, we're faced with like these two options. So we either, um, you know, believe the medicine and believe this other way of being and start to take a look at ourselves and what's possible and discover how powerful we are and how we're using that and, and, and deeply inquire into that and start, you know, embodying it. Or we look at the world with the, the worldview that has led us to this place of utter conflict, uh, conflict and, you know, despair and sickness and say, okay, it's all happening out there and there's nothing we can do about it because we're just an individual. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a choice, right? Right, right. And, start and no wonder that makes people angry. I mean, if, if we really believed, you know, that we don't have power and that, and it's, it's unless everybody else changes that we can't be happy. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's very infuriating. Sure it is. Yeah, and that's the, uh, the catch-22. <laughs> it's like you, you've got constant mirrors around you all of the time. All of the time. And uh, I think grandmother, Mother Ayahuasca wants us to really view them in a present way. Uh, where we can find more understanding and expound our perceptions around all of the things that we've projected and created. Um, so we can gain wisdom around that and be able to master ourselves in a way that is much more harmonious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not, it's not an easy thing to, to accept and, and embody um, but I do think that it's the process we're going through, whether we're aware of it or not. <laughs> yeah, I think you if know. every person just kind of just took time, um, and that was my, I was very irritated with this a long time ago. It's like, we don't have enough time to, you know, because we're all in the hustle and bustle of life. We have to pay our bills. We have to make sure we have a roof over our head. We have to make sure that we have food and all of these things, and which are really big distractions at times, but to carve out time with yourself uh, and really be diligent and, and discipline yourself to say, okay, so one day, and that's how I started, I gave myself one day, which was a Friday. And I said, Friday is gonna be my day. I made sure my children were taken care of and I had the, my home to myself to sit with myself, to take baths, to take care of myself, to eat good foods and to just really enjoy uh, being alone uh, because I was so afraid of being alone before. But mm -hmm. I carved out a day. And if we just carve out a day to have some introspection and some inner dialogue, uh, whether that be meditation, yoga, 
taking baths, whatever it may be for self-care. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's important because that's how you're you're building a relationship with yourself. You're getting to know all of who you are. Um, and that's how you build better relationships. And it gets better. I promise you, it gets better if you just start to be with yourself a little bit more and, and love yourself and take care of yourself. It gets better. It really gets better. So um, for those people who have, you know, felt the sting of certain situations they find themselves in, um, you know, whether it's uh, racism or sexism or childhood abuse um, or, you know, sexual abuse, which I've experienced um, and, you know, um, difficult, you know, growing up in circumstances where there's conflict and anger. And, and I, I, I can certainly appreciate that too. Um, instead of, uh, you know, focusing on on that and repeating that outward and and allowing that to to dominate our experience, um, you know, starting to come into harmony with with self love and seeing what comes up that that um, that argues with that. This is what I found with this whole inner inquiry is that when these ideas of of love and all of this was introduced. There would be there would be these parts of myself that, that couldn't accept it, as you say, the trust and all of this stuff came up, and that's where the work is, you know. And then, once you come into better harmony with yourself, the experience starts to um, reveal itself in in the world around you. Mm -hmm. Correct. The uh, the whole thing with sexual abuse, which which helped me to gain a better perception, that helps me to heal and not be in a place of just victim, 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 um, was a, a, a beautiful friend of my mother who came to me after we found out that the man who sexually abused me was in prison, started telling me his story as a child, that he was also sexually abused by his mother and his uncle. Um, and, and, you know, a light bulb went off, like, okay, so this, these things that are happening uh, to me or the thing that happened to me happened to him and probably happened to his mother and happened to the, the uncle that sexually molested him. And so there was a track record of all of these abuses that just keeps happening because normally the, the abuser either, either is the abused or is abusing themselves. Like, let me just put that a little bit more clear. If you've been abused, um, there is a, a you know, 90% chance that you are either going to abuse someone or abuse yourself. Um, and this is why the awareness is, is, is important of mm -hmm. what happened. Because if you don't become aware of that, then you're, you're abusing yourself or you're abusing someone else. And so you don't want to pass that trauma on. You want to heal it within yourself so you don't have to abuse yourself and so you don't have to abuse someone else and you have to first start to understand that something has happened to you right and now it was not right um, yeah but the compassion because, came for me you know go ahead i'm sorry that's okay because um also the abusers like this needs to be underlined too they are carrying that torch so they yeah. have been abused like and i don't think there's any doubt mm -hmm. there, there's no um question that the people who are are perpetrating these kinds of abuses have been abused themselves so you know this is when we start to turn this around uh for ourselves we are changing the world in that way you know it is it is a responsibility of ourselves to to start to not carry those wounds forward and, and, you know, um, not only heal ourselves, but, you know, give that hope to our children that, you know, the world isn't that way and doesn't have to be that way. You know, yeah. I mean, if I prepared my son for the kinds of things that I experienced, mm -hmm. <laughs> I would give him an impression of the world that wouldn't be a very good one at all. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's true. It's learned behaviors and programs that we we carry forward that we have to look at and to 
to see, okay, this program is outdated or this learned behavior is outdated and it's time for me to create a new life. It's time for me to create a new understanding and uh, perception around who I am and, and what I do. Mm -hmm. And this has to come from within because if it comes from us looking at what's happening in the outer world, um, again, we're giving our power away and, and, and letting ourselves be dictated to by, by those outer influences. And, and I, the medicine teaches us that, you know, this has kind of been a source of suffering for a very long time. And we have to decide for ourselves whether or not we are going to be truly empowered or, or not, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And, and then uh, focus becomes on this, this inner work that she wants us to do. And um, that's something that also we have to carry beyond, you know, the ceremony and into our lives. And, and there are many great tools out there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The ceremony, your life becomes a ceremony. Um, it is. Ceremony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. So how we respond to things, just like when we're in the medicine, we know our responses um, account for a great deal of, of, of how our ceremonies go. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. the same is true of life. Yeah. There's a, you know, I want to say that there is this, this idea out there that uh, most people, you know, in, and the ceremonies that I'm involved in is most people don't believe that unconditional love exists. They think it's a myth. Um, and I think that has to do with a lot of the, the dogmas, maybe the, um, some of the religious institutions that we have. Um, you know, so me just experiencing that and I have experienced unconditional love where I know that I can be responsible for my life. If I make a decision, um, I can no longer blame anyone else uh, for my decisions. Um, and that's the part of growing up that, you know, Mother Ayahuasca has allowed me to experience is that this is your life. And what you want to happen out of your life is, is, is your decision. Mm -hmm. and, and this free will, um, so much free will around that. And then also knowing that it's, you know, and that's where the great compassion and I guess the confusion for a lot of people come um, is so anyone can do anything and they can just be, you know, uh, forgiven for it. And I, I always bring it back to me. And I said, well, I do know that in my experience, that I've done a lot of bad things in my experience. And I've done things that I'm not proud of. I've said things that I'm not proud of, but the unconditional love that I received from creator, from the divine is saying, just have the awareness. And if you, know, you decide to not to do it again, then that's great. But if you do, I still love you. I still love you. Um, I want you to be the best version, uh, the best self that you can be. Um, but there's not a place where I feel like I'm going to be tossed into um, some unknown place or driven into the bounds of hell or I don't have that feeling at all. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I've, I create my life because I am, and, I, and the Bible even says that, you're, you're created in the likeness. You're created in the likeness. So I am too a creator. And I'm creating my experience at every moment and every decision that I make. Uh, so I know that I am loved. There's a knowingness that gives you so much just gratitude and you want to shout joy to the world because you are being loved so immensely mm -hmm. that it is hysterical. <laughs> it's hysterical <laughs> that you can be loved this way and you can't do anything wrong. So unconditional love is real. Yeah. Real. And we have to believe in it if we want to experience it. We have to at least open up to it. And yeah. you mentioned these uh, these middle of the night conversations, which I have still. Um, I mean, I have this voice kind of available to me all day, really, um, <laughs> which can be distracting in itself. But um, great lessons. But the most powerful ones are in the middle of the night when you, you, you're you um, um, a completely... Um, 
you know, fully available audience, right? Our, our concentration mm -hmm. is there, our openness and focus is there. And, um, and the and world the last, is more quiet. <laughs> everything is. And you're, yeah. you're just entirely um, surrendering to it. And that's why they come in the night. Of course, it's perfect time. Um, and the last, you're reminding me of this, this message that was just most profound. They're, they come in different levels and volumes almost, right? And there's some of them that just like wow you, you know, and they, <laughs> they reach inside, inside and just shake you up. Uh -huh. And this message came in and it was like, um, love is the only truth. Everything else is lies. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, that, that part uh, struck me deeply within that, um, that moment too. I started looking at words differently, very afraid to speak certain words that I knew that was, um, I didn't think, it, well, it felt like these words were created as a, somewhat of a, what would we call a spell. Um, I try to stay away from words that are, um, binding me to a another story or binding me to uh, um, a place of doubt uh, like the 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 country was the contraction words like can't and don't I was like who does that like it's like a double <laughs> it's a double threat uh, yeah. to have words so I was learning etymology um, and the words and not and trying not to speak certain things uh, just because I, I was being shown just how powerful my words and my thoughts were during that time. Right. Oh yeah. And this comes up powerfully for me too. And I've had experiences where there's, you know, um, me coming up against those, those elements that represent all of that, the darkness of things that have been hanging over me in my life, um, you know, yeah. from, from trauma and all of those belief systems that I've, you know, learned over time. And mm -hmm. when I faced up to them in these late hours or early morning hours in the night, I found that there was part of me that was the observer and part of me who was asserting myself and facing up to them and choosing my words very carefully, making no room for any doubt whatsoever. It's like, mm -hmm. you are no longer part of my life not I would like you to go um, it wasn't like that there was just an absolute certainty and you know definitive nature of of the orders that I was giving this darker you know because it was playing out in a very shamanic way right there was this darker energy representing all this stuff and I was saying goodbye to it basically you know mm -hmm. but it was important that I could tell that there were certain words being used very deliberately and I was meant to witness this so that I could know exactly what you're saying and, and the, the power you know you can't there, there, there can't be any I want you to or I would like it's like this is ending now <laughs> you know mm -hmm. this yeah. ends now <laughs> so we are far more powerful than we realize and this is good news and mm -hmm. yeah and I think that understanding how we use that power and learning to do it um, better for ourselves and and everyone around us is, is a great thing and something that the, these teachers, these masters are very good at teaching us. Yeah. And the fact that it's plants, you know, you think about it like, wow, these are plants and they've been connected to the earth for a very long time. And I think they've been holding space for us to come back, come back home um, mm -hmm. to a place where we, we're more harmonious with the earth and uh, the universe. And um, one another. Yeah. And one another. Yeah. And ourselves. <laughs> yes, myself. On that note, um, we're going to have to uh, to close this off. Please um, uh, share with, with anybody who's listening um, where people can reach you if they'd like to. Um, you can go to uh, www.motherjaguar.com uh, is my website. Uh, for now, and you can see all of the, the services that I provide. Um, or if you would just like to send me an email, um, you can also send a submission and, um, for that. Uh, I'm very open to having dialogue, dialogues with like-minded individuals. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, yeah, motherjaguar.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Catherine. It's been a pleasure. Same, same. It was a pleasure speaking to you too. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. 
Thanks for listening to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Please support this program with a $1 per month contribution by visiting ayahuascatalks.love and clicking on the green Become a Patron button in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage. Patrons will be invited to join our exclusive Ayahuasca Talks Facebook group to keep the conversation going and connect with other listeners. Your support is needed and appreciated. For more ayahuasca integration content, please visit RebeccaHayden.com. And to connect with me directly, please email Rebecca.Hayden at gmail.com.